to get the context of where we are here in this first chapter. So Peter has been speaking of the salvation that God wrought through Jesus Christ, that this was something that that didn't just come to be in a, a whimsical thought, but that God from before the foundation of the world saw us and gave His Son in truth, gave His Son even before the foundation of the world. As John saw Him in Revelation, He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this salvation that God had provided and planned even from the foundation of the world that we could have that, that we could have assurance and peace in Jesus Christ, that we could be free from our sin and have a secure reward in heaven through His name. And so he talks in 6, 7, 8 about the trials of the church. You know, I, I realize we all, have, we all have trials, but we're talking in a day that they were, they were cutting heads off of apostles and they were burning people at the stake and they were cooking them in oil and all manner of trials and afflictions, not just in my daily life, not in my pocketbook, but that my very life is at danger and the life of my family is in danger, not because I'm out doing something crazy, but just because that I profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were afflicted and tried. And Peter says, you're willing to go through these afflictions because of what God has done in your heart, because of the salvation that He's provided. And in verse number 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's all we'll read. So much to cover here, and I don't know whether we'll get through these verses or not, but this salvation that God has provided us, we... We are uh, just as Peter was and the apostles and the church in the early days, we've received that same salvation. And this salvation was that which the prophets. Now you think about the prophets and you know all the way from Adam and Eve, I believe, who if anybody felt the weight of the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve felt the weight of that fall. They, they were the only people that ever lived that were truly innocent and with no sin in them. You know, uh, maybe you would say, well, some of these little ones, they're innocent. But the truth is they're born and conceived 
in iniquity and sin, and it's it's in their nature, even as, as little ones. We know that if they live long enough to come to any age, they're going to be rebellious and disobedient. They, they don't know what it's like to be free from that bondage either. But Adam and Eve did. And they fell in the garden and they, they went from that place of innocency, that place that they could walk and talk with God, and they were cast out of the garden and away from the presence of the Lord. And God said to Eve that through her seed there was going to come one that would bruise his heel on the serpent's head, but the serpent's head would be crushed. And so Adam and Eve, they they had a promise of one that was going to come that was going to undo this curse that there was. And don't you know that they they were longing for that even then? Thousands and thousands of years ago, there's Adam and Eve and they they feel this fall and they see sin and and even their firstborn son murders their secondborn son. You know what I believe they were looking for? For redemption. They were looking for this curse that, that they had brought to be undone. I believe they inquired and searched diligently for that, wouldn't you say? That as they prayed, they'd say, God, would you bring this promise to pass? Would you let me see this day? I think just a few days on down the road, here comes Abraham and God gives all these promises to Abraham and man would would like for you to believe that what he was promising was a piece of real estate and a nation and a government and a country in this world. But the Lord Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 11, Verse 11, Verily I say unto you, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. It's in Luke is where it's at. But he's speaking there about Abraham. And Jesus says, it's in John. I'll get it right in a minute. Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So Abraham was looking not for a country, not for a nation, not for a government, but the real promise to Abraham was the the Son of God that was to come. This, This same salvation and the same promise to Eve was the same salvation and same promise to Abraham. And just as Eve and Adam would have prayed for that to come, I believe Abraham desired, I mean Jesus said, that he, he desired to see my day. He longed to see what I was telling him about. And I, I think Adam and Eve desired to see that as well. But it wasn't just them. All through the Old Testament, there was this promise and, and prophecies through the prophets. Isaiah. Isaiah had great visions of a suffering servant that was to come. That as he's punished and as he's beaten... Somehow, we're being healed by that. As he's suffering, I'm being released. And there was, I I believe it like this, snapshots. It was like Isaiah sees a picture of what's happening and he describes that in his prophecy. But to really see it, to really understand and and put it all together, Isaiah couldn't see the whole picture. And the Bible says that they inquired and searched diligently. Even Daniel himself, as he was there in Babylon 
And God's giving Daniel all of these visions and what great and mighty visions that Daniel had. He was never satisfied. Moses was never satisfied. But God, show me your glory. Let me see a little more of this promise. Let let me see and understand a little bit more about what this is going to be. Daniel said, Lord, would would you show me when these things are going to come to pass? I'd like to be able to see what you're talking about. But they, they never were able to see the full picture. Though they searched diligently... Let's get what those words mean there in 1 Peter. They searched diligently. They explored to search out, to inquire, to investigate. So these men, they were searching for it. They were studying after that. No doubt as Daniel was there in Babylon, he could read the prophets of old. And they had the types and shadows of the law and the prophets. They could look to all of these things to try to get an understanding of what God was promising that was to come. They could see these pictures, these types and shadows, but there was always a hunger and a desire to truly understand the grace that should come unto you. You know, Ezekiel prophesied, and you read Ezekiel, and you talk about a hard day. God told Ezekiel they're going to come. They're going to listen like they're my people. But they're not going to hear anything you say. And God told Ezekiel in another place, He said, I'm going to give you a face of flint that you could withstand their hard looks. He told Isaiah, He said, you prophesy and you speak my word and you prophesy till there's nobody left. Isaiah, they're going into captivity. They're not going to hear. They're not going to believe. They're not going to love you for the message. No, they're, they're going to saw you in half. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, as he prophesied and, and warned of the judgment and the wrath to come, and he, he spoke of that servant that was to come, that branch in Jeremiah over and over again. Yet Jeremiah was hated and despised and carried into Egypt. And so all of these... They search diligently to understand because God spoke about a time that He was going to do a work in people. Not just a, a temple at Jerusalem in one place, but that God was going to come and He was going to change the heart and the mind, He says in Ezekiel 36, that He's going to remove the stony heart out of man and give him a heart of flesh. His spirit's going to enter into man and he's going to cause man to walk in his statutes. Wouldn't you say that that's a, a far different picture than what Ezekiel saw as he looked on the people? And he said, God, I, I'd like to see this. Would you let me see just a little bit more? And I, I realize, I realize we're, we're going slow, but that's all right. So here, they're, they're looking, they're praying, they're seeking. And these were good men. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Moses. You know, Moses, I believe in a great picture of it. Moses brought them through the wilderness. He endured their hatred and their strife. Uh, but as they came to the edge of Canaan land, God said, I'm not going to let you go in. You're not going to get to inherit this. But He took him up on the mountain and let him look at the promise that was to come. And so in Hebrews, I believe we can see this very thing, in Hebrews chapter number 11, 
God says this about these Old Testament saints. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So you know the best that they had was seeing it afar off. You know, you ever seen something way off in the distance? I, I want to get a better look at that. I, I need to get my binoculars, or, or maybe, maybe I need to get up and, and go to where that is that I can get a better look and really see the detail and really see what's going on and what that is that's afar off. Well, God let these Old Testament saints see this salvation afar off but they never could see the glory and the detail of the grace of God that was to come. David David had God in a temple in Jerusalem, and that's where he had to go. David did not know the fullness of the glory of God, that God's grace wasn't going to dwell in a house, but God was coming by the Spirit of God to dwell inside of man. That was a glory that in the Old Testament was unknown. Though they inquired, and though they prayed, and though they investigated, and they searched it out, and they prophesied of this grace that was coming, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So what's their message? Christ is the message. Christ is the promise. All through the Scripture, Jesus Christ is what God is pointing man towards with the priesthood, with the sacrifices, with the temple, with the deliverance out of Egypt, with God bringing judgment and Noah building the ark for redemption, with the prophets and them speaking and prophesying of what was to come. And all of it was there to point man to what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. And all of that was there, and yet there wasn't a clear picture. You know, looking at a picture is one thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon. I have saw a lot of pictures of it. But I'm telling you to stand there and to look at it, that is, that's totally different. Totally different. You can't see it in a picture like when you're standing there on the ledge of that. Well, here's the prophets, Abraham and all of these, and all they're seeing is pictures and types and shadows of the grace that's to come. And you know, the, the last of the law and the prophets, John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching, and Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven. now we're in the right place. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that of a man born of a woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And we could debate why that is. I believe this is the reason. John's the last prophet. When John's message is done, the kingdom of God was going to be at hand. See, these prophets, they were searching out what time that this God was going to accomplish this work. Is it going to be in my day that you're going to do this? Am I going to get to see the Savior? Am I going to get to lay eyes on this servant that you're sending that's going to take away the sin of the world? Am I going to get to see this work accomplished in my day? Don't you know for a man that's in the dungeon 
for prophesying the Word of God, uh, seeing the Savior would have meant so much to him. But Jeremiah didn't see him. But you know, John the Baptist, John the Baptist saw him. John the Baptist said to the people, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, this is Him. And even as John was in prison there, he sent his men to Jesus and said, Are you really the one or do we look for another? Some would like to beat you down for having hard times. John the Baptist had hard times. When he's in prison, going to lose his head, he began to wonder, well, this ain't the way it's supposed to be, is it? This can't be the right thing that here I am, I'm going to die for this. But the Lord said, you go back and tell him. Don't tell him what I've said. You go back and tell him what you see. And that will be enough to to satisfy him. But you know, John's head was took off before Jesus died. He didn't experience the salvation that you and I experience. And Jesus said, Of a man born of a woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist, but he that's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Now, is, is he saying that, that I'm better than John the Baptist? That'd be a bold claim, I believe. It's not about me and what I've done, but we're greater today than John the Baptist. We're greater than Isaiah, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Ezekiel and Daniel and even Moses himself because we have today the full revelation of what God's done in Jesus Christ unto whom it was revealed, not that not unto themselves... I tell you, they they had a disappointing answer to their prayer. You're not going to see this, Moses. Abraham, you're not going to see this. The people's going into captivity. It's what God told Abraham. They're going to be 430 years down in Egypt. You're not going to see this. Jacob, you're not going to see this. David, you're not going to see this. Job, the man, the, the suffering man, he said, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be buried. And the worms are going to devour me. I'm going to die before He comes. But I know this. I'll see Him one day. And so they did not have the picture. They did not receive the promise. They were looking down the road afar off at them. God let them see them afar off. They embraced them. They embraced them by faith. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. But they never received it. They never did. Not unto themselves, but unto us. They did minister. You know who this was for? Now, now what he's saying here, he's not saying that what Isaiah said had no bearing on the people that were alive when he was preaching, because it did. His message fit them in that day and them all through the Old Testament. But do you know who's able to take the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and really understand what Isaiah was saying. You know the Pharisees and the scribes and the doctors of the law and the Sanhedrin court, they couldn't see that. They thought the Messiah was going to be a great king and a man that was going to be a conqueror. He was going to be another David that was going to crush all of the natural enemies. But Isaiah told them what he was going to be. He was going to be a servant that was going to suffer a brutal death that man could be freed 
from sin. You know who sees that? We can see that. It was unto us that these things were ministered because we are the ones that have received the promise. Listen on. Which are now unto us that did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. James says this, that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father. So here, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where did that come from? That come down from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, where did that come from? Where did He come from? He come down from heaven. The Holy Ghost that indwells us, where did He come from? He came down from heaven. And over and over and over again, this is God reaching man. At no point does man ever reach God. But you know, God is reaching unto man by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, today, we don't have to look at a snapshot of what's yet to come, but we've got the gospel. That word means the good message, the good news. We've got the good message today of what God's already accomplished. And it's not through smoke and mirrors. It's not something that that I've got to sit and try to figure out and weed through, but we've got a clear picture by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven exactly what God can came to do. Without question, God has taken the cover which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So this gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the revelation of the work of God. And that's God's choice. God chose. I realize it's easy to say, well, You're a preacher, so of course you're going to tout preaching. But it was God's choice from the very beginning that preaching be the way that this work of God is manifested. You know how people come to the knowledge of this? Through preaching. Do you know how the grace of God that we've already heard testified of, you know how the grace of God came to me and quickened me to life and brought me to Christ? Through the gospel. And until I heard the gospel by the quickening power of God, I remained dead in my sins. And so God is manifesting. He's taking the cover off and He would like for man to look in on the glory of the work that God's done, that man could be forgiven of sin, made to be new creatures, and brought into fellowship with God, and not just fellowship as a friend, but fellowship as a son of God in Jesus Christ. Which things the angels desire to look into. So that word means to lean over the edge. Leaning over to try to see. You know what the angels, they're created... They're created just like me and you are. But they're created holy and without sin. And they see the pureness of God. They see His holiness. They see His power. And they glorify Him for all of those things. But they, the angels don't know the love of God that pulls out of sin and adopts into the family. The angels, they've never experienced 
that redeeming love of God. They, they are God's ministers and God's servants and they're all of these things. But you know to understand what it is to be delivered from darkness and brought into God's family, they stand at the edge and peek over into that to try to get a look at the love that God has for His church. And so we have something today, the truth. We've got something today that God did not give Abraham and that God didn't give Moses, that God never let the angels experience. We've got the fullness of the gift of God in Jesus Christ through the Spirit by the Gospel. It's been brought to us. Now, we didn't attain this with our works, but God let this down from heaven. Listen unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that preach the gospel. When did the gospel begin to be preached? John preached. The Bible says John preached. But it doesn't say that John preached the gospel. John preached repentance for the remission of sins. That's what the Bible says that John the Baptist preached. But boy, the gospel, when the Lord Jesus conquered, when He had lived perfectly and suffered on the cross, was dead and buried, and He resurrected the third day, and He went back to heaven and presented himself there. But you know, that wasn't the completion. There was still no gospel yet. There was no gospel yet. But ten days after that the Lord ascended up into heaven, the day of Pentecost came, and down from heaven... Now where did that come from? Where did the Holy Spirit, who sent Him, and how did He get among us? I tell you, the Lord said Himself, I'm going back to God, and I'm going to send another one just like me. He's going to be just like I am. He's going to be God like I am. But instead of being a man that can only be in one place at one time, He's going to dwell in you all. And so there, on the day of Pentecost, the work was completed. The Holy Ghost came down from heaven and indwelled those 120 in the upper room. And there, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ began to be preached. What were they preaching? They were preaching what Jesus had done. That is the good news. The good news that the church has revealed unto them is that the Lord has conquered and He's raised from the dead and that in Him we can have forgiveness of sins and peace with God Almighty. And that's what they began to preach and to publish and to proclaim that through the name of Jesus we can receive forgiveness and be made a part of the family of God. Now I'm not saying that these Old Testament men, that they weren't a part of the family of God. They were. Abraham was. By faith, He laid hold of the same promise that you and I look back to. But I tell you, He didn't receive the fullness of it while He was alive in this earth. But you know what He did? He suffered and endured and carried onward. And so here we are. 
having received the fullness of this and the indwelling of the Spirit of God, having an understanding, I tell you, that can be taken for granted, can it? To really know what the Lord Jesus Christ did and why that He did it. You know how we know that? Because God revealed that to us through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That brought us to life in Him, which things the angels desire to look into. So now if, if the prophets and all the Old Testament saints, if they searched and inquired and, and investigated to try to find out about this salvation that we have, and if the angels would desire to look into it and understand what we've got and to experience the fullness of the love and redemption of God like the church experiences it. What's, what ought I to do today? Wherefore, seeing this is the case, seeing that we've received, I tell you, John the Baptist, he's the greatest among men, but anyone that's been brought into the kingdom of God and has experienced the indwelling presence of God, the love of God down in the depths of the soul of man. I tell you, I tell you the honest, my honest thought, and I've said it a thousand times, what a shame it would be to wander through this life and never know what it is to be loved by God Almighty, to only have religion, to only have the motions of the flesh, to only have this world and not know what it is to be born again and have the peace of God to indwell your heart. What What a shame that would be. But seeing now that we've received this from God, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So now in this day, they wore big, heavy robes. And they'd come down to the feet. And so when they wanted to run... When they needed to move, that was down in their way. So they girded up the loins. In Ephesians, he says, with your loins girt about. So they had a belt that they wore, and they had a place to gird up the loins. They would take the robe that hung down, and they'd hang it on that belt, so that it wouldn't be draping, and they could move so that they could run, so that there wouldn't be anything that would hinder them in their movement. And so Peter says here, gird up the loins not of your robe, but the loins of your mind. That that would hinder your mind from thinking and pondering on this wondrous work that God has done. Now, what is it then that, that dangles over my mind that would keep me from being able to understand this? I tell you the saddest thing is that man holds fast to religious tradition and to religious motions and commandments of men and will not accept what the Word of God says. You know if I'm going to grow, and God help me to desire to grow in the Word of God, God help me to, to gird up 
that that would hinder my mind. I mean, if, if Abraham is searching diligently to understand this work that God's done, if God's revealed it now, should I not gird up the loins of my mind and study to learn more of what God's done for me? Would it not be reasonable that if the angels want to look over into this and see just a little picture of it, would it not be reasonable that I... Somebody that God's delivered, should I not have a desire to get that out of my mind that would hinder me and to study the Word of God that I could learn all of the work that the Lord's done? Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Sober. You could say with intoxicating drink or drug, if that's what you want to say. That's not what he's saying though. That could be part of it. But I tell you what's intoxicating is high views of self, high opinions of our works, being established in tradition and thoughts of men. And well, Granny said this, what a shame that what Granny said would keep me from really understanding what God's done for me in Jesus. What a shame if tradition would keep me from seeing what God's really done through Jesus that I could be saved and born again. Be sober. Get everything that would intoxicate your thinking. And I tell you, you think the world is not into intoxicating the way you think. Through song, through visuals, through the pressure of those round about us, through the family trying to implant in our mind. I tell you, everything around us, the devil is trying to intoxicate our thinking that we're unable to see and clearly judge the Word of God. The devil's always been a rester of the Scripture, a twister and a perverter of the truth. And He'd like to twist us up in our mind and in our thinking and remove us from, as Paul says in one place, the simplicity of Christ. He'd like to move us off of this wondrous work of God. That which has been prophesied of from the beginning, that which God has fully accomplished and God has manifestly declared unto us through the gospel and by the Spirit, the devil would like to blind me to that. Listen, be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's there's a crowd today that has to have rewards promised that if I do better today, I'm going to get more when I get there. And it's that promise that makes me to work today. Well, preacher, we're going to get more when we get there if we do better. Well, if, I, if I'm going now and I'm going to receive the reward of Jesus Christ and I'm going to be judged not of myself, if I'm going to be judged by His righteousness and be found to be justified and His righteousness is perfect, and complete. You tell me how you're going to get anything more than perfect and complete. You can't improve on 
the Lord Jesus. No, we don't have to have a carrot dangled in front of us to get us to follow God. We don't have to have, well, if you suffer, you're going to get an extra large reward when you get to heaven. I tell you, the church doesn't need that. They have the grace of God within them, encouraging them. And I tell you what I've got. I've promised... Uh, the promise of life eternal in the world to come and when the Lord Jesus appears whether I'm in the grave or I'm alive and remaining I'll be called up with Him and forever be with the Lord. And so hoping to the end this ain't all we've got here. This is not all that the church has. Paul said if in this life alone we had hope we would be of all men most miserable. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're going to think with any bit of sobriety about this life, it's a very depressing life. Because it's coming to a close. Time's going by so fast. In reality, what little time we've got left, we don't know how much strength we're going to have. I mean, my God, it's, it's halfway gone, three-quarters gone, 90% gone. Boy, if, if this is all we've got, then we're in miserable shape, wouldn't you say? Why should I spend the last half of my life serving God and, and keeping myself from pleasure? Why should I do that? I tell you why. Because we have a hope under the end at the appearing of Jesus Christ that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what I've got today? I've got grace. I have. I've been saved by grace. I'm kept by grace. I have continuing grace in my life. Over and over again, you see the apostles say, grace be multiplied unto you. Day by day as we walk, we have the grace of God with us. But I tell you what I've got. I've just got a little down payment. When you compare what I've got today to what's going to be revealed in the day that's to come, there is absolutely no comparison to the grace that's in Jesus. I tell you what I've got. I've got this little down payment, and I've got enough. I tell you what I've got. I've got enough to live on. I've got enough to do by. If I live 50 years, I've got enough to get me through those 50 years. I tell you what I've got laid up. There's a treasure in Jesus that so far exceeds what I've got here. It exceeds this veil of tears and it's laid up for me at the end of this life. Preacher, it ain't worth it. If we're not going to get rewarded, it ain't worth it. Why shouldn't I just lay down and quit? That's the carnal mind of man. The church is not going to lay down and quit. Because the church can't. We've got grace to us now. And there's grace that's to come. Well, preacher, they're going to cut my head off. There'll be grace when your head is cut off. And there'll be grace on the other side. Jesus came to give grace for grace. Grace under grace. Grace and abounding grace. And so, that shall be brought unto you as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So you already heard some of this. The church has been saved 
out of that corrupt and dead state of sin. All of the church was there at one time. And the rest of the world is still there. There's not one that's excluded that was not in the past or is not at present dead in sins and under the prince of the power of the air. But you know what happened through this gospel and through the Spirit uncovering this mystery? He let me look in on what I was. And He convicted. That word just, that just means to convince. He convinced me of my wickedness and of my guilt and of the judgment that I was going to face. And as real, as plain as the nose on my face, as Steve Rogers would say, I was a dead man that was one breath away from falling into hell. And you know what God did? God convinced me of that. And He picked me up out of that as a brand from the burning from this morning. He plucked me out of that state. He translated me out of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of light. And you know what I do now? I look back at that old man and I don't admire him. I don't admire what I used to be. I know what I, I was dead and on the road to hell. That was nothing but trouble to me. And you know what that old man is to me now? To see somebody that knows that old man, I'm ashamed of him. Don't talk about him. I don't want him to be... I don't want you to know that old man. Uh, Ezekiel prophesied of it. He said, you're going to loathe yourself. Ain't that what happens when a man gets saved? He loathed the man that he used to be. So you're telling me that here's somebody that God has delivered from this darkness and they despise that old lifestyle that they live because they're now new creatures in Jesus Christ that they're going to go back to that? I I don't know how that's possible. I don't. I don't know how that's possible. I heard a fella teaching a Bible school one time. This is the way he put it. If I had an armadillo up here and I, by miraculous power, transformed that into a line. Now what's different between those two? Where they live? What they eat? What they hunt? How that they, uh, how that they do and act in the wild? Their level on the foot. I mean, any way you want to look at it, that line is a completely different creature from the armadillo that was there. Well, that's what happens when God delivers men out of sin. In every way, God has made that man into a new creature. And by the grace of God, we hope to the end. And we're not as fastening ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance. I lived that way then because I thought that was the right way to live. I thought I was going to heaven, that I was acceptable, and that I was good enough then. But now we've got this revelation of God. Now, I know better now. I know what the right way is. And I ought not fashion myself back according to that old man and the way I used to be.
But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I'm holy. Now I believe inwardly, here's the desire of everyone that is born of God. Because now, we have this revelation. We have this gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been regenerated. We're now adopted into the family of God. And we, more than Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah, we see the love of God that He has for us. More than even the angels in heaven, we see the love of God for our souls. And by that transforming grace and indwelling Spirit, we have a love and affection for God. And now because I inwardly love Him and I see the love He has for me, I've got a desire to please Him. Would you say that's fair? You ladies that love your husbands and you men that love your wives, because there's a love there, don't you want to please them? I believe there is. I don't think that's unreasonable. I tell you, the children of God, they've got an inward desire to please their Father. And because He's holy, because He's pure, I've got an inward desire to be pure and to be holy. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a battle. We still have a corrupt mind and a wicked flesh. We still have a a warfare day by day. It's still going to be a fight as we live in this world with the old man and the flesh. But by the Word of God, there's a man in me that is greater than the man that's outwardly Mm -hmm. in the world. Isn't it something that so many people are saved and yet there's nothing greater in them to overpower them and change their life. Now you tell me, you tell me how that's possible. Is it? You answer that. Is that possible? It is absolutely not possible. There's no way. This is the salvation that the Lord's brought.